Welcome back to Fiction Fridays with Mrs. Bryant. This is Small Spaces by Catherine Ardine, Chapter 2. She pedaled hard past the hay bales and the roundabout on Main Street, turned onto Daisy Lane, and raced past the clapboard houses, where jack-o'-lanterns grinned on every front porch. She aimed her bike to knock down a rotting gray rubber hand groping out of the earth in the Steiner's yard turned again at Johnson Hill, and climbed panting up the steep dirt road. No one came after her. Well, why would they, Ollie thought. She was off school property. Ollie let her bike coast down the other side of Johnson Hill. It was good to be alone in the warm sunshine. The river ran silver to her right, chattering over rocks. The fire-colored trees shook their leaves down around her. It wasn't hot, exactly, but warm for October. Just cool enough for jeans, but the sun was warm when you tilted your face to it. The swimming hole was Ollie's favorite place. Not far from her house, it had a secret spot on a rock half hidden by a waterfall. That spot was Ollie's, especially on fall days. After mid-September, she was the only one who went there. People didn't go to swimming holes once the weather turned chilly. Other than her homework, Ollie was carrying Captain Blood by Raphael Sabatini, a broken-spined paperback that she dug out of her dad's bookshelves. She mostly liked it. Peter Blood outsmarted everyone, which was a feature she liked in Heroes, although she wished Peter were a girl, or the villain were a girl, or someone in the book besides his boat and his girlfriend, both named Annabelle, were a girl. But at least the book had romance and high seas adventures and other absolutely not Evansburg things. Ollie liked that. Reading it meant going to a new place where she wasn't Olivia Adler at all. Ollie braked her bike. The ground by the road was carpeted with scarlet leaves, sugar maples starting to lose their leaves before other trees. Ollie kept a running list in her head of sugar maples in Evansburg that didn't belong to anyone. When the sap ran, she and her mom would. Nope, no they wouldn't. They could buy maple syrup. The road that ran beside the swimming hole looked like any other stretch of road. A person just driving by wouldn't know the swimming hole was there. But if you knew just where to look, you'd see a skinny dirt trail that went from the road to the water. Ollie walked her bike down the trail. The trees seemed to close in around her. Above was a white railed bridge. Below, the creek paused in its trip down the mountain. It spread out, grew deep and quiet enough for swimming. There was a cliff for jumping and plenty of hiding places for one girl in her book. Ollie turned. She was eager to go and read by the water and be alone. The trees ended suddenly, and Ollie was standing on the bank of a cheerful brown swimming hole. But to her surprise, someone was already there. A slender woman, wearing jeans and flannel, stood at the edge of the water. The woman was sobbing. Maybe Ollie's foot scuffed a rock because the woman jumped and whirled around. Ollie gulped. The woman was pretty, with amber honey hair, but she had circles under her eyes like purple thumbprints. Streaks of mascara had run down her face like she'd been crying for a while. Hello, the woman said, trying to smile. You surprised me. Her white knuckle hands gripped a small, dark thing. I didn't mean to scare you, Ollie said cautiously. Why are you crying, she wanted to ask. But it seemed impolite to ask that question of a grown-up, 
even if her face was streaked with the runoff from her tears. The woman didn't reply. She darted a glance to the rocky path by the creek, then back to the water, like she was looking out for something or someone. Ollie felt a chill creep down her spine. She said, are you okay? Uh, of course. The woman tried to smile again. Fail. The wind rustled the leaves. Ollie glanced behind her. Nothing. I'm fine, said the woman. She turned the dark thing over in her hands. Then she said in a rush, I just have to get rid of this. Put it in the water. And then the woman broke off. Then? What then? The woman held the thing out over the water. Ollie saw that it was a small black book the size of her spread out hand. Her reaction was pure reflex. You can't throw away a book. Ollie let go of her bike and jumped forward. Part of her wondered, why would you come here to throw a book in the creek? You can donate a book. There were donation boxes all over Evansburg. I have to, snapped the woman, bringing Ollie up short. The woman went on, half to herself. That's the bargain. Make the arrangements, then give the book to the water. She gave Ollie a pleading look. I don't have a choice, you see. Ollie tried to drag the conversation out of crazy town. You can donate a book if you don't want it, she said firmly, or, or give it to someone. Don't just throw it in the creek. I have to, said the woman again. Have to drop a book in the creek? Before tomorrow, said the woman. Almost to herself, she whispered, tomorrow's the day. Ollie was nearly within arm's reach now. The woman smelled sour, frightened. Ollie, completely bewildered, decided to ignore the stranger's elements of the conversation. Later, she would wish she hadn't. If you don't want the book, I'll take it, said Ollie. I like books. The woman shook her head. He said, water, upstream, where Lith Creek runs out of the mountain. I'm here. I'm doing it, she shrieked the last sentence as though someone besides Ollie were listening. Ollie had to stop herself from looking behind her again. Why? she asked. Little mouse feet crept up her spine. Who knows? the woman whispered. Just his game, maybe. He enjoys what he does, you know, and that is why he's always smiling. She smiled, too, a joyless pumpkin-head grin. Ollie nearly yelped, but instead her hand darted up and she snatched the book. It felt fragile under her fingers, gritty with dust. Surprised at her own daring, Ollie hurriedly backed up. The woman's face turned red. Give that back! A glob of spit hit Ollie in the cheek. I don't think so, said Ollie. You don't want it anyway. She was backing toward her bike, half expecting the woman to fling herself forward. The woman was staring at Ollie as if really seeing her for the first time. Why? A horrified understanding dawned on her face that Ollie didn't understand. How old are you? Ollie was still backing toward her bike. Eleven, she answered by reflex. Almost there. Eleven, the woman breathed. Eleven. Of course, eleven. Ollie couldn't tell if the woman was giggling or crying. Maybe both. It's his kind of joke. She broke off, leaned forward to whisper. Listen to me, eleven. I'm going to tell you one thing because I'm not a bad person. I just didn't have a choice. I'll give you some advice and you give me the book. She had her hand out, fingers crooked like claws. Ollie, poised on the edge of flight, said, tell me what? The creek rushed and rippled, 
but the harsh sounds of the woman's breathing were louder than the water. Avoid large places at night, the woman said. Keep to small. Small? Ollie was torn between wanting to run and wanting to understand. That's it? Small, shrieked the woman. Small spaces. Keep to small spaces or see what happens to you. Just see. She burst into wild laughter. The plastic witch sitting on the Brewster's porch laughed like that. Now give me that book. Her laughter turned into a whistling sob. Ollie heaved the Schwinn around and fled with it up the trail. The woman's footsteps scraped behind. Come back, she panted. Come back. Ollie was already on the main road, her leg thrown over the bike's saddle. She rode home as fast as she could, bent low over her handlebars, hair streaming in the wind, the book lying in her pocket like a secret. Chapter 3 Olivia Adler's house was tall and lupine purple and old. Her dad had bought the house before he and mom had ever met. The first time Ollie's mom saw it, she said to Ollie's dad, Who are you, the Easter Bunny? Because her dad had painted the house the colors of an Easter egg. And ever since, they'd called the house the egg. The outside had plum-colored trim and a bright red door. The kitchen was green like mint ice cream. The bedrooms were sunset orange and candy pink and fire red. Dad liked colors. Why have a gray kitchen if you can have a green one, he would ask. Ollie loved her house. When her parents visited, they would always shake their heads and say how white walls really opened up a place. Dad would nod agreeably and then wink at Ollie when Grandma wasn't looking. Mom had given the rooms names. Dawn Room, Ollie remembered her mother saying, holding her hand and walking her through the house, waiting while Ollie's stumpy legs climbed the stairs. Ollie must have just been learning to read because she remembered looking up at the sign on each door and trying to sound out the words. Dawn. Her mother's hand was warm and strong, calloused from climbing and paddling. Ollie could still remember her small fat fingers secure in her mother's thin brown ones. That means when the sun comes up, Olivia. Ollie's mom was the only one who called her Olivia. If you have a brother, we're going to name him Sebastian. Two beautiful names. Why make them shorter? Ms. Carruthers had tried to call Ollie Olivia at the end of fifth grade, and a few teachers had tried since, but Ollie refused to answer. All the best heroines of Ollie's books were stubborn as rocks, or roots, or whatever the author liked to call them. Only her mom called her Olivia, and that was that. Dusk room, Ollie's mother said, tilting the sign on the door so Ollie could see. She and Dad had painted the signs themselves. Dad's were perfect, with suns and moons and tiny flowers. Dad was crafty. He painted and knitted hats and baked. Ollie's mom liked digging in the dirt and running and flying and adventurous things. Her signs were exuberant blobs of paint in which the letters were barely visible. Dusk means when the sun goes down, Ollie's voice piped in delighted reply. And this one, said Ollie's mother at the end of the hallway, the door to this room had an old-fashioned keyhole and a doorknob shaped like a dragon. Your mother found that doorknob in some yard sale, her dad told Ollie once. She had to have it for my daughter, she said. Ollie's room, Ollie cried triumphantly. Her mother had laughed and scooped her up and run with her upside down all the way back to the kitchen. Ollie had to pass the Brewster's house on her way home. 
During the day, the skeleton in their attic looked silly, but now at dusk, it looked sinister. Its lit up green eyes seemed to follow her. The witch on the front porch grinned and cackled. Ollie hurried past, trying not to look over her shoulder. Just a crazy person. I just met a crazy person, that's all. That doesn't mean I have to be scared of everything now. Come on. And stole something from a crazy person, another part of her replied. They put people in the slammer for stealing stuff. Juvenile detention. You'll have to graduate high school in prison pajamas. It was easier thinking that than the other thought. What if she knocks on the door at midnight with that same look in her eyes, wanting the book back? Ollie heaved her bike into the tool shed and clattered through the front door. The streaky shadows on the lawn seemed to chase her indoors. The weather was changing. The wind that had rattled the leaves by the swimming hole was now tearing down the mountain, swinging arcs of sunset shadows across the egg. Rain began to spatter the driveway. The warm weather was over. But inside the egg, everything was bright and normal. Ollie hung her jacket on its peg, pocket heavy with the weight of her prize. She reached for the book, then thought better of it. If she didn't show it to anyone, she could always deny taking it. Would anyone believe her? Would they believe the woman by the river? Her dad was in the kitchen. Simon and Garfunkel crooned on the speakers, accompanied by the clanging of pots. Over the music, her dad called, That you, Ollie? Nope, said Ollie, still a little shaky. It's the postman. Someone just sent me a puppy, a kitten, and a pony for my birthday. Great, came her dad's voice from the kitchen. The pony can mow the lawn, and I will personally feed the kitten to Mrs. Who. Dad didn't like cats. Mrs. Who was the great horned owl that lived in the dead hickory tree at the far corner of their yard. But you can keep the puppy, her dad added with an air of generosity. Although, I thought your birthday was in April. Ha ha, said Ollie. She crossed the slate floor of the entryway, edged around the piano, stepped into the living room. As she did, some of that afternoon's weirdness started to lose its grip. Ollie's dad sold people solar panels. He liked it fine, but what he really loved was making things. Ollie had never seen his hands still, not since she was a baby. In the long summer afternoons, he built birdhouses or furniture. In the evenings, he cooked or knitted or showed her how to make plates out of clay. That evening, her dad was baking. The whole house smelled like bread. Ollie sniffed garlic bread. There was tomato sauce, and Dad, seeing her come in, had just dumped a pile of noodles into a pot of boiling water. Spaghetti. Great. She was starving. The living room and the kitchen were one big space, with a kitchen island separating them. Ollie dropped her backpack and threw herself backward over the couch. Ollie's dad stood behind the kitchen island, stirring, humming along with the music. His shirt sleeve was... His shirt was long-sleeved and mustard-colored. Dad liked colors on clothes like he liked colors on houses. The brighter, the better. Sometimes they didn't go together. Mom teased him for it. Ordinarily, her dad would have handed her a piece of garlic bread, and while Ollie ate it, they would have argued over her drinking a ginger ale before dinner. And by the time she'd worn him down, the pasta would have been ready, and it wouldn't be before dinner anymore. But now, her dad's expression had turned serious, and the garlic bread stayed in the oven. Ollie thought about staging an oven raid and then thought better of it. She surveyed her dad upside down. It was possible the school hadn't called. Her dad pressed pause on Simon and Garfunkel. Ollie, the school called, said Ollie. Brian Battersby mother called me first, said her dad. 
He couldn't maintain angry dad voice even when he was trying. Now he just sounded exasperated. I got an earful, let me tell you. And then the school called. You have to go to the principal tomorrow, Ollie. You could have really hurt that boy. No, I couldn't, said Ollie sitting up. It was only a tiny rock. Besides, they were being mean to Coco Zentner. You always tell me I should stick up for people. Her dad quit stirring the sauce and came and sat down beside her. Now he was going to be understanding. She hated understanding voice as much as she hated sympathy face. Ollie felt her, her ears start to burn. Ollie, he said, I'm really glad you were trying to help someone. But don't try that innocent face with me. There's about a million ways to help a friend out without giving anyone stitches, as you know perfectly well. I don't care if Brian was being a little turd. Next time, get a teacher, use words, blind him with mathematics. God, use that imagination of yours. He knocked playfully on Ollie's forehead. First thing tomorrow morning at the principal's office, young lady. You're going to be in detention for a while if Brian's mother has anything to say about it. He paused, adding mildly. Brian is fine, by the way. His mother seemed to think he wasn't taking the incident as seriously as he should be. Of course he's not. His head's about seven inches thick, grumbled Ollie. I could have thrown a brick and he'd be fine. Please don't, said her dad. As the caterpillar said to the blackbird, also Coco Zintner's mother called. Coco says thanks for standing up to them. Apparently, no one else did. Ollie said nothing. She felt bad now about hitting Brian in the head with a rock, and also bad because she didn't really like Coco Zintner. Coco squeaked too much. Ollie just didn't like watching someone get teased. She was also hungry, and she wanted to tell her dad about the woman beside the swimming hole, but it didn't seem like the time. She did not want to be in detention until Christmas. Well, Ollie thought, if they put me in jail for stealing a book, I won't be, but that was hardly better. Out of the frying pan and into the fire. If you want to throw things, her dad said gently, why not rejoin the softball team? They'd take you back in a heartbeat, I know, slugger. Remember your home run last? She stiffened. Don't want to. Her dad stood up. He didn't look mad or exasperated. He just looked hurt, which was worst of all. Okay, fine, he said, heading back toward the stove. You don't have to, but Ollie, you can't hide in your books forever. There are all kinds of people and good things in life just waiting for you to. She had known he was going to say that or something like that. She was on her feet. To what? Forget? I won't even have to. I'll do what I want. You are not the boss of me. I am the dad of you, he pointed out. He had gone pale under his beard. I'm trying to help, kiddo. I'm sad still, too, you know, but I... She didn't want to hear it. Of all the things in the world, it was the last thing she wanted to hear. I'm not hungry, said Ollie. I'm going to bed. Ollie, not hungry. She grabbed her backpack, made for the stairs in the entryway, scooped up her prize from the swimming hole in passing. The stairs were steep, the hallway to her room long and full of shadows, and she sped down it. Part of her wanted her dad to follow her, tell her she was being silly. She wanted him to crack a dumb joke and coax her downstairs to dinner, but only silence chased her up the stairs to her room. Ollie didn't slam the door. No, she'd already had her tantrum. To slam the door would be too obvious, make her an angry kid, which you are, dummy instead of an angry, almost teenager who had the right to be mad. So Ollie gritted her teeth and closed her door very softly. Then, 
Where no one could see, she threw herself onto her comforter and buried her face in her pillow. She didn't cry. She squeezed her eyes shut, but she didn't cry. It wasn't something she had tears for anyway. Tears were for things like skinning your knee, not for whatever. Ollie just got mad sometimes, and people talking to her made it worse. It was easier to be by herself, up here where it was quiet. Even though she was hungry, she could still smell garlic, but her dad would want to talk more, and Ollie didn't have any words for him. Or maybe he'd let her be quiet. Sometimes he did. But in its way, silence between them was worse. Better to stay up here. Ollie dug a russet apple out of her bag. Evansburg had the best apples. It was harvest time, and the market was full of fresh cider and every type of apple in the world. Red and purple and yellow and green apples. Crunch. Ollie bit down. Apples were good. She would think about apples. Ollie practically lived on apples in October. She tried to convince herself that an apple was as good as pasta. Fail. But it was something. She'd sneak down later for a proper snack. Snacks. She thought about snacks. Not enough. She needed a better distraction. Distractions were good. Then she wouldn't have to think of her dad, pale under his beard. She wouldn't have to think of Mr. Easton and his too sympathetic face. She wouldn't have to think about fire in a torn-up field beneath the rain. She wouldn't have to think at all. Ollie had dropped her backpack on the rug and tossed the old book onto the desk when she first came in. Now she got off her bed and wandered over to examine it. The book had a worn-out cloth cover with its title stamped in faded gold letters. It was very thin, less than a hundred pages. Ollie picked it up. Small spaces. No author, just the title. Ollie opened the book, scanned the copyright page. 1895. Wow, Ollie thought. Super old. Printed in Boston. Ollie turned the page. It started with a letter. My dearest Margaret, I wish I could have told you the story in person. More than anything, I wish I had one more hour, one more day, a little more time. Ollie bit her lip. She too had wished for more time. She sank down on her bed, reading, chewing her apple without really noticing. But I don't. This, these words are all I have. I know you have often wondered why I do not speak of your father. I'm going to tell you why. I do not know if you will believe me. Set down in black and white, I barely believe these words myself. But I promise you that everything I say in here is true. Once you have read, I hope you will forget. The farm is yours now. Sell it if you can. Above all, I beg you to leave the past alone. Think of the future. Think of your family. Do not go back to Smoke Hollow. The twilights when the mist rises, the dangerous nights, get more frequent as the year draws to a close. Jonathan told me that. Before he, well, I will come to that. I can't tell you how I have thought of leaving this place. I meant to, you know. Your father and I even talked of it, but he said the curse was his alone, and he could not escape it. I would not leave him. Now he is gone. There, the candle is guttering, lights flicker, you know, when they are near. Sometimes I hope desperately that Jonathan is with them, that he has never left me at all, but mostly I hope he is safely dead, and that I will see him in the next world, because the alternative is so much worse. God bless you, my dear. Even if this story seems strange, I beg you will read it for my sake. With all my love, 
Beth Webster, Ne Bouvier, Smoke Hollow, 1895. Ollie turned the page fascinated. The next page only had an epigraph. When the mist rises and the smiling man comes walking, you must avoid large places at night. Keep to small. Ollie frowned. Small spaces, said the woman by the creek. Well, the woman was obviously not right in the head. Maybe the book had set her off somehow. Ollie eyed the epigraph with puzzlement. The rain tapped against her skylight. The wind was working up a temper outside. Ollie turned another page. I was born just after the end of the war, and I was a child in 1876 when Jonathan and Caleb and their mother, Kathy Webster, came to Smoke Hollow. They were all dusty, the boys barefoot, wearing patchwork shirts. Between the three of them, they had nothing but a little bread and smoked ham tied up in a napkin. They walked past the farm gate, past the hog pens and the chicken coop. When they got to the barnyard, the first thing they saw was me, as I was then. A pigtailed girl wearing brown calico, red-faced from the oven and holding a pie dish. Mister, I said to Jonathan, pops in the north field. Jonathan was 14 then, nearly a man in my eyes, but he grinned at me like we'd known each other forever. We'll wait, Jonathan said cheerfully. I was hoping your pop was hiring.